How are you out there? Bye, children. First service was so quiet. Those kids must have been still half asleep. Get your Bibles out this morning. First Samuel 17. Good Lord. Thinking about this year is going to be my 25th year in full-time ministry. I'm turning 50, so you got half of me. <laughs> what they did with the other half, I don't know. It's a blur. 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to, uh, actually, Sister Kim's going to come in just a minute and read verses 31 till the end. Um, but this is the climax of the interaction between David and Goliath here, a very familiar passage of scripture that, uh, you know, all of us have heard the story before. But there's some details in here that I really feel like are going to encourage you this morning. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for this study. And surely we can learn so much from what you did with your people in the Old Testament, Lord, that speaks to us as New Testament Christians in so many powerful ways. I pray that this morning, as we listen to this, we learn how to face our giants and to learn how to realize how big our God is and how small everything is to him if we would just trust him and have faith. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would be able to drink in truth this morning, that when we left here, it would still reverberate in our spirits. And on Monday, we'd be able to live what you talked into our hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Sister Kim, verse 31 till the end of the chapter. For Samuel 17, verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God." And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Verse 40, And he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me. 
and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that is all the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Verse 51, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut, his, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistine lay along the way to Sherem, even to Gath and Ekron. And the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, You inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Well, there it is. David faces and kills Goliath. Let's take a look at all of what's going on here. All of David's talk bring him to the place where he gets an audience with the king. And I want, to, I want you to see something here. Uh, David's words that he spoke were heard. They told them to Saul and he sent for him. Here's a tip. If you don't want to get involved in a situation, shut up. <laughs> Do you notice when you talk about something, if you talk about it enough, people notice you're talking about it? It's amazing the way we insert ourselves into situations that are none of our business and say, how do we get here? It's that hole in the middle of our faces. <laughs> David talked and he talked and he talked. Now, you might think, well, you know, David was supposed to be there. Yeah, and that's true. But there's a principle here. David talked because no one noticed David. And no one took David seriously. So he kept the talk up until he got people's attention. Finally, he got the attention of the king, and they brought him before the king. So if you want to be involved in something, talk. If you shouldn't be involved in something, be quiet. It's a good principle, amen? 
Hard to practice, but it works. So Saul hears about the ruckus that David stirs up with his mouth, and he sends for him. So now he's inserted himself into the situation. He is involved. Even though he was told by his older brother to just be quiet and go away, he wouldn't go away. He wanted to be involved. Now, verse 32 shows us that everyone's view of David's confidence is going to be a little bit strange here. It said, David said, let no man's heart fail on account of him, your servant, will go and fight this Philistine. So basically what he says when he gets before the king is, hey king, don't worry, I got this. In fact, I don't want you to worry about it one more day. I don't want anybody to lose any sleep over it. I'm gonna take care of your giant problem. Isn't it good when you have people who come to you who wanna take care of your problems? You're just looking at me, nobody has problems. No, most people come to you and cause you problems, right? But here comes a guy before the king says, hey king, I'm gonna take care of your giant problem. And I want you to think about it at all. I'm gonna take care of it, don't worry one bit. Now at this point here, people are looking at David's confidence. It's way past cocky and it's almost into the realm of insanity because they see a little shepherd boy who has no chance. Look, all the bravest warriors in the army have been listening to this guy taunt Israel for days, by daily, twice a day, he came out and mocked Israel and challenged them and their God, and nobody in armor, with swords, in shields, all dressed up for it, would say, yeah, I'll take the challenge. Yet here comes a shepherd boy who says, hey, king, I got this for you. I'm gonna take care of your giant problem. Now, they think David is just flat out crazy, and uh, Saul tells him, you know, basically that, uh, you know, Here's what I think about your proposal, David. In verse 33, the king is quick to burst his bubble. He says, you are not able to go against this Philistine or fight with him because you are but a youth and he's been a warrior from his youth. So Saul does what? He sees this cute little guy and he's probably like, aw, isn't that cute? He wants, oh, you want to fight the giant. Someday when you're a big boy, we'll get you a... No, he looks at him and he goes, listen, pal, you can't do it. Don't you love when people tell you you can't do it? I mean, if you got any kind of guts, any kind of backbone, any kind of drive in you, when someone, come on, any men here, anybody with testosterone, come on guys, wake up. When someone says, hey, you can't do it, what's the first thing you're gonna do? You're gonna do it. And then you're gonna show them pictures on Facebook, are you doing it? Come on, right? When he said, the king's saying, look, you can't do it. Now, David could have said, you know what, all right, king, uh, you're the king, who am I, you know, and just go away, but he doesn't go away. And I want you to see something. Saul has a good point here, because on paper, pound for pound, this is not a fight that David could win. He's outmatched and outclassed and outexperienced in every way. Yet God's called him to fight this fight. And only he knows it at this point. Saul tells him, you can't. And David doesn't walk away. David doesn't take that rejection and say, you know, okay, I guess if you say I can't, I can't. What he does in verses 34 through 37, he launches right into sharing his testimony. He says, you might look at me and not realize this, but you know what, I have a testimony. And it's David's testimony that's gonna speak to Saul. In verse 34, he begins to share the testimony with him and he says, but your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. 
I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. When he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. So what does David rebut with? You can't do it. He goes, let me share my testimony with you. See, you and I need to discover the power of our testimonies. You might be sitting there and go, well, I never killed a lion and a bear. I don't even like to kill bugs and I hate spiders and... But you got a testimony this morning. If you're saved, any saved people here this morning? Any people born again? Any people know Jesus? Through a few hands going up here and there. Well, if that's you, you got a testimony. And the testimony is how Jesus saved you from your sin and brought you into the kingdom of God. Amen. You got a testimony. Dan, your testimony that you shared, people might not want to have your testimony, but your testimony encourages people in the kingdom. You might look and say, well, I don't have. If you're saved and you've been saved from sin, you got a testimony in Jesus, amen? Now, David had a testimony about killing lions and bears. Now, listen to this. He shares it with Saul. Saul doesn't rebut it. He doesn't argue with him. He basically tells him, you know, hey, uh, I'm a shepherd. He's like, that's nice, kid. Good. Okay. Uh, You know, I tend my father's lamb. That's a good story, kid. And, uh, you know, a lion and a bear came and they grabbed the lamb. Well, this story's getting better here. And then all of a sudden, I grabbed that thing by the beard and I killed him. And Saul says, say what? come again with that? Yeah, it took the lamb and it had it in its mouth and I caught it by the beard and I took the lamb out and I slew it. I killed it hand to hand, close combat, and I killed the lion and the bear. Now he's got Saul's attention. Why? Because that's pretty amazing testimony, isn't it? And, and you got to understand, you know, here's a shepherd probably with a stick and a staff and a sling and he, he's not armored. He, he doesn't have swords, yet somehow he protects his flock from predators, and he's got a testimony, and he shares it. Now, you might think, wow, I would love to have a testimony like that. How do I get one? You got to take some risks. Amen? You see, coming to church and sitting in the soft padded chair with the air condition going, it's not risky. Well, I got up this morning, I took a risk, I came, I didn't know what you were going to say, and I'm sitting here, and so that's all the risk. Listen, you and I have to take more risks than now for the kingdom of God. Amen. You know, risk, some of it, you know, I, I drank the milk and it was two days expired, man. I live dangerously and that, that's the way I roll and I, I'm, I'm all about risk. No, you and I, if your Christianity doesn't require any risks, if your relationship with God doesn't require any risk, it's not a faith walk. Just treading water. You see, he had a testimony because he took risk. You don't grab a lion by the mane without taking a risk there's a good chance he's not going to like that. And when you pull the lunch out of a bear's mouth, he's probably going to be in a bad mood. So you and I have to learn, to. I've talked about this before, to smack the hornet's nest every once in a while and just to show the, the fact that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, amen? Some of us have never put that to the test. David did, and he put himself out there, and he took risks for the kingdom of God, and because he did, God showed up, and he had a testimony. So he shares his testimony with Saul about the lion and the bear and what he did. Now, Saul listens to it, and he's impressed. It catches his attention, you know, and and it kind of rocks him. In verse 36, David shows Saul that, you know, this is how I feel about Goliath. Now, David's view of Goliath was different than everybody else's who had been listened to him 
taunt and mock Israel for all these days. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he taunted the armies of the living God. Wow, so everybody else is afraid of Goliath, and they think, you know, he's, he's an insurmountable obstacle, but David said, he's gonna be just another head in my trophy room. You know, come into my house, here's my trophy room. I got a lion, I got a bear, got a couple deer over here, wild boar in that room, and I wanna put Goliath right here. You see, when you have exploits, when you do things and God shows up and you feel the presence of God and you know it's God, you're not afraid of the giant. You're not intimidated by the mountain. You're not overcome by the obstacle. You don't shrink back because men say you can't. We need to know our God. We can learn so much from David. Not a perfect man, but a man after God's own heart. He says, Goliath is no big deal. Basically, you know, he's gonna be like one of these lions, one of these bears. This uncircumcised Philistine has defied God. David's confidence was not rooted in his ability, but it was rooted in God. See, if our confidence is in ourselves, we're gonna be disappointed. If we think, you know, I can do it. How, how many were young and now you're old and all the I can do it myself and, I, and, I, and I'm gonna get it right to first? And how many, how many would just be willing to admit that that goes away after you're beating in your 30s and 40s and 50s, amen? Or a few honest people, praise God. And now we know we need each other and we need God, all right? So David's confidence wasn't in himself. Oh, I'm a good fighter. I'm, you know, I mean, I got these moves, man. I could take out bears, man. I just give him a knee. And... <laughs> no, his confidence wasn't in himself. It was in God. And the way you get confidence in God is to step out and take risks for God. And I just feel the overwhelming sense of, yeah, we want to do that. But David did, and he had a testimony. He shared it with Saul, and he, he thought this Philistine was no big deal. David's confidence was not in his ability, but it was in God's ability. David's testimony was so anointed, so moving, so powerful, that Saul doesn't argue with him. In fact, Saul says to him, go, and may the Lord be with you. Now, you can say what you want about Saul, but he's given this kid a chance. And you might not realize it, but this was a big risk for Saul. In fact, the whole kingdom was at risk. Remember, this was single combat. Whoever won this, the other side had to serve. So if David goes out there and he gets squashed like everybody thinks he's gonna, Israel not only loses the battle, but they lose the kingdom and they have to serve the Philistines. So Saul's taking a big risk with this kid. So he, he has to be moved by the testimony. He has to believe that, you know, David's got something here. And he says to him, you know, may the Lord be with you. So in verse 38 and 39, he tries to shore up his bet by putting his armor on David. Now, this is almost comical here. You know, the stature between these two men must have been pretty different because when David gets this armor on him, he, he's not happy with it. It says, Saul clothed David with his garments and put his bronze helmet on him, on his head, and clothed him with armor and girded him with a sword over his armor, and he tried to walk for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I've not tested them. And David took them off. Now I want you to see this. Saul is, is buying into David, but he wants, to, he wants to shape him his way. Are you picking that up? 
Now, his armor didn't fit on David. And I want to say something to you. Don't let anyone mold you except Jesus. Don't let anyone shape you except Jesus. Don't let anyone make you a cookie cutter of themselves. You, you're not supposed to be a, a double of somebody. You're not supposed to be, you know, a cookie cutter type. You're an individual. You're unique. You've got to be unique. God wants to use your uniqueness this morning. Come on, church, wake up. You know, we think, you know, I got to be like this person, or I like the way that person does that, so I'm going to copy them, or if I dress like them, or talk like them, or walk like them, or act like them, maybe good things will happen for me, and all we wind up is a counterfeit, uh, you know, of somebody else, and you know, you're never as good as the original. You're never as good as the original. I grew up as a teenager learning how to play guitar from all different names that I can mention right now, but I was never going to be them. I had to come to the place where I stopped learning other people's stuff and started playing my own stuff because that's how you develop your uniqueness and your gift. So David couldn't wear that armor. He couldn't wear, I, I, I wish we, there again, I wish we had pictures in the Bible of David with this big helmet and the sword and, you know, but Saul's like, man, I gotta, I gotta protect this guy because everything's riding on him. So he's piling all this armor on him and David's like, I, I can't fight with this. I can't move with this. I, I've never, I, I can't wear it. So he decides to go in what he's comfortable with and Saul lets him, which is there again, a big risk for both of them. Uh, the armor doesn't go. So David picks what he wants. In verse 40, we see David getting geared up to face a giant here. And I got to tell you what he grabs is not what I would have chosen. He said, he, he took a stick in his hand and he chose himself five smooth stones from the brook. But the, he put them in the shepherd's bag, even in his pouch, and the sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistines. So no sword, no spear. Look, I'm, I'm thinking arrows, long distance stuff. Hello? He's got a sling, a stick, and he picks himself five smooth stones. Better pick some good ones. But he goes with what he's comfortable with him. And there again, it, it doesn't seem like the right tackle to take down a giant. But his confidence is not in his ability, it's in the Lord. There again, I would have loved to heard what all the people were saying as this guy comes out to face the Philistine champion. They must be thinking, oh, we're gonna be serving the Philistines in about 15 minutes. You know, this is the best we can do. Uh, he takes his stones, he takes his sling, he takes his stick, and right away, Goliath, when he sees him in verses 40 through 42, lets him know how he feels. He took the stick in his hand and chose the five stones from the brook and put it in his shepherd bag. The Philistine came out and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. The Philistine looked and saw David. He disdained him, for he was a youth and ruddy and handsome. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Wow, this guy, remember, Goliath had a mouth on him, and right away, he lets him know, look, what, what did you come, to chase away a cat, to, to chase away a dog with your stick? You know, what, what are you doing here, kid? And, and, and he begins to curse at him. And he begins to, you know, curse at him in the name of his gods. He brings his little G gods into it. Bad mistake. When you're coming against the living God, you better not talk about your fake gods, your idols that they worship. He, he curses him by his gods and he lets him know, look, you and your little stick, buddy, I don't know what you're doing out here, but I'm actually insulted. I'm actually offended. Apparently, you know, he was a liberal. He got offended at everything. 
And he, and he made a hashtag sign, I won't fight David, you know. <laughs> and so he, he lets him know right away, I'm not impressed with you. And Goliath was a world champion trash talker. He'd been trash talking for many days now. And he basically tells David in verse 44, I'm gonna feed you your flesh to the birds of the air. So this seemed to be something that they like to say to each other to intimidate one another. David steps up and he doesn't act intimidated. He shows that he has a mouth of his own. Do you ever see two people get into, you know, that back and forth battle, maybe on the schoolyard in the playground or something when a fight's about to happen. There's a lot of talk that precedes it, isn't there? You know, and Goliath figured, I'll, I'll intimidate this guy with my mouth, but David gives it to him right back. And I love what he says here because it's faith-filled. He says, then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Listen to what he says. I'll strike you down I'll remove your head from you and I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Wow. Wow. What a statement to make. Now here's a guy with no sword, a sling and a few sticks talking about knocking down a giant and taking his head off. Okay. I would have loved to hear Israel. What's this guy talking about here? Did, did he just say what I think he said that he shouldn't have said that? You know, and you know, now it's back and forth. Goliath's running his mouth. David gives it right back to him. He says, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z, very specific. We're gonna see that it's prophetic what he says because he does exactly what he says. And I want you to see, he tells us why he's gonna do it so that people will know. Everybody there would know. Everybody in the kingdom would know. Everybody today would know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. Goliath curses him by his false god. David invokes the name of the true and living God, and he says exactly what he's going to do. Goliath talks trash. David gives it right back to him. Very specific, very prophetic what he was going to do, and it was all that the Lord would be glorified. Listen, everything that we do in life should be to lift up the Lord. Any exploits we're doing, any things that we're doing to lift ourselves up, you know, we're going to meet resistance with that. I see people all the time trying to promote themselves, glorify themselves, show how wonderful they are. Do you, do you know people like that? Everybody's scared to raise their hand. <laughs> you know, it's like we live in this generation where we, we're self-promoters. We got our own this page and that page, news feed, and we, got every, we want everybody's attention all the time. It, it's a pretty warped generation. I'm not getting many amens on this. But it's true, you know, they've linked, you know, the, the whole internet and selfies and stuff to, to mental illness and narcissism. Now, I know this generation doesn't want to hear this because we're drunken with it. All into ourselves. And here's, you know, here's a young guy who's not promoting himself. He's not saying, look what I can do. He's saying, you have taunted God. You have picked a fight with God. I'm just going to be used by God. But this is what God's going to do to prove that God is real. We need some Davids in our generation. We need some people who will stand up and do something for God and just forsake the sin and the pleasures of this world and say, you know what? I'm gonna let God use me to prove that God still saves, that God still heals, that God still changes people, that God still restores. 
I like David's attitude. I like where he's coming from here. The results are going to be incredible. But verses 40 and 48 and 49 are the actual fight, and it's really short. Do you notice that usually when two combatants posture and they talk and they, they go back and forth, it can go on for weeks or months or, or days, however, but when the actual fight takes place, usually happens pretty quick, doesn't it? You see it in boxing, you see it in MMA. You know, these guys will talk trash for weeks and sometimes in the first round, they are knocked out. I love to see trash talkers knocked out. The actual fight is very quick. In 48 and 49, it just, you know, it's amazing how quickly this happens. When it happened, the Philistine rose and came and draw near David. Why? Because he couldn't take being heckled himself. When David opened his mouth, the guy couldn't take it any longer. So he said, let's get this over with. He rose and came near him. David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. Listen to 49. David put his hand in his bag and took from it a stone and slung it. So I want you to get this picture. The Philistine had had it. He didn't want to hear it anymore. He starts moving towards David. David starts running towards him and he has an empty sling. Hello, did this guy go to basic training? Is that magazine locked and loaded? Did you charge it? Is there one in the pipe? Are you ready to go? He's running at the giant and he's like, nah, not that one. And then, he's, and then he gets it going. And all of a sudden, I mean, they're coming closer and closer. And you're like, you know, you could see Israel. Come on, kid, what are you doing? And he slings that stone. And here's what happened that, you know, the Bible doesn't say. An angel grabbed this stone and he drove it into Goliath's skull and he knocked him flat. You say, why do you think that? Because I know basic bone structure and I know basic trajectory and ballistics. You can't take a stone and sling it at a guy whose head has gotta be like this big and hit him in the forehead and, and shatter his skull and go through it. You say, why not? Because this part of our body is designed for impact. This is the, you know, people say you got a thick head. They're not kidding. You know, David, a giant, the bigger the guy, the bigger the bones, amen. This is just amazing. One stone, and it says it sinks into his forehead. That was God. God did that. It wasn't this guy was, just, oh, he was really talented. He practiced a lot. No, it was God who did that, amen. And he knocks the giant flat with one stone. You would think, man, he'd have to use all five stones just to annoy the guy. But one stone knocks him out. The, the, the trash talking, the big, the jeering, the taunting, all of it. The enemy is just a paper tiger. Your enemy is a defeated foe. He will talk and try and intimidate you. But listen to me, when the battle happens, it happens quick. Jesus broke the power of sin. He broke the power of the kingdom of darkness, amen. With one stone, David levels the giant. It's a miracle any way you slice it. He borrows Goliath's sword and takes off his head, just like he said he was gonna. And he proves that nothing's impossible for his God. It all happened so quickly, both sides are completely stunned. There again, I wish we had a picture of this. Could you see the Philistines' faces? I mean, what are the odds here? They're like, they're like Goliath's going, they're like, and, you know, instantly they go into retreat because they're horrified. One little shepherd boy knocks down their champion. And they think, my goodness, if this is the way their kids are, I wonder how these guys fight. We're getting out of here. So they go into full retreat. Now what happens with Israel? Israel finally gets brave. They see the Philistines running and they say, 
Let's chase them. <laughs> you, got, you got to laugh at God's people sometimes. Come on. You know, as soon as they start running, they start chasing them. And they, they chase them down and they strike them down along the way. They plunder their camps. Verse 52 through 53 show us it's a total defeat for the Philistines. It's a total victory for Israel. And there we catch up with David in verse 54. And this is, this is a little bit bizarre here, but this is what David is doing. Goliath's been beaten. The Philistines are in full retreat. The Israelites have won total victory. Here's David, verse 54. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his weapons in his tent. So David leaves the battlefield with all of Goliath's stuff and his head. Does anybody think that's a little weird? I told you he was going to put that head on his wall, but I was sort of kidding. He takes the head with him. He brings it to Jerusalem. You know what? And it goes to show that he saw this as a trophy here of the Lord's victory. He knew it was going to be something that if he told people, yeah, I knocked Goliath down, they'd be like, come on, kid. And he's like, <laughs> right? And so David, you know, he realizes what the Lord has done. He takes these trophies. And the, the last part of the chapter is really, I got to say, it's almost confusing to me to, to see where Saul is. But Verses 55 to the end of the chapter, Saul becomes all of a sudden confused about who David is. He had just given him permission to fight. He had just, you know, tried to give him his armor. But here in 55, it says, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, whose son is this young man? Did you hear what Saul just said? Whose son? This is the guy who played the harp and drove the evil spirit away from you. This is the guy who you loved, who your heart was knit to. This was the guy you gave permission to fight the giant. What do you mean, whose son is this? Is this a little bit stunning to any of you? It's a little confusing to me. And Abner says, I don't even know who the kid is. So even though all that David's done for Saul and all the interaction he's had with him, nobody seems to know who he is. Verse 56, the king said, inquire whose youth this is. David returned from killing the Philistine. Abner took him and brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Here comes David, head in hand. And Saul says to him, whose son are you? And, and David must have been shocked, but he, he's humble. He said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So in all the interaction they had, somehow, someway, I don't know if it was the evil spirit or the, the, the tumultuousness of the moment or Saul's forgetfulness or what, but somehow he just forgets who David is. Now, to me, that's bizarre. But to me, it, it illustrates a point. No matter, who, no matter what you do for certain people, they're not going to remember you. No matter how you serve a person, you would think, man, I, I did X, Y, and Z. Surely they'll have favor. Surely they'll remember. The king forgets this guy like he's a little nothing. No one has taken David seriously at this point. His own father didn't take him seriously. You know, his own brother didn't take Nobody, everybody thinks, even with Goliath's head in hand, now they're finally starting to pay attention to him, but they don't even remember who he is. Look, if people don't know you, if people don't remember you, if people don't give you what's due you, if people don't appreciate what you've done for them, please don't be shocked by it and just let it go because people's opinion of us is not important. Only God's opinion of us is. Here's David. 
standing before a forgetful, narcissistic king who's troubled by an evil spirit, yet David now has a trophy under his arm. All of Israel is about to know who this young shepherd boy is. When you deliver an entire nation from an encamped army and you, you sink a rock into a giant's head and take it with you, people tend to remember who you are. Do exploits for God. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, that we would learn so much from David here, that we would learn that the battle is the Lord's, that giants that mock and taunt, they're, not, they're no match for you, our God, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God, that we would learn to have confidence in our God. Father, I pray today, Lord God, that we would, we would not be overwhelmed when man forgets us or people don't appreciate us, but we would just find our pleasure in serving you. God, I pray for the hearts of your children today who hear this message, and I, I pray that you would humble all of us, Lord God, that we would be able to be useful in your hands that we would take risks for the kingdom of God. So many risk themselves for the things of this world. The Bible says, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Father, in all the risks we take, would we do them under the direction of the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God, that we would take risks with our coworkers and share the gospel, that we would take risks with our neighbors and love and serve them, that we would take risks with all those who are lost and bring up the name of Jesus. Even though today in our society, that might be a risk. Father, I pray you'd make us bold so we'd have a testimony that we killed the lion and the bear, that you have used us and you've been there for us, and that we'd have great confidence in our God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.